Have you ever heard of the phrase vivid dreams? Vivid dreams is a clinical term that affects a lot of Americans. It is a dream that is so real and so lifelike and so vivid that it affects you physically. You wake up exhausted. You're tired. In fact, you're physically ill when you wake up because of the dream you had. Vivid dreams are caused by stress. They're caused sometimes by cancer treatments. Sometimes your medication causes you to have vivid dreams. Sometimes early in a pregnancy, women have vivid dreams. A dream where you wake up, you're exhausted. It seems like you are fighting all night and you're physically ill. Well, in chapter 8 of Daniel, Daniel had a vivid dream. He woke up exhausted. He woke up sick to his stomach. Now, remember last Sunday, Daniel had his first dream. That was in chapter 7. We saw last week on, on Easter where he saw the vision where the wind would whip around and whip the Mediterranean Sea into a frenzy and rising up out of the sea were four beasts. Do you remember the the, the lion and then the bear and the leopard and, and then a fourth beast that was so hideous he couldn't identify what it was. Here's a, a sketch of Daniel 7. And that was his first dream that he looked and he saw in, in chapter 7. And now in chapter 8, Daniel has a second dream that disturbs him so much he gets physically ill. Read, of the portion of, read a portion of the dream with me, starting in verse 15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. When he came... I was frightened and I fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. And he said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of of the end. Verse 27. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. And I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. We're going through a sermon series through the book of Daniel entitled The Ancient of Days. And for the first six chapters, you might remember, it was a historical part of the book where it traces four young teenage Hebrew boys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, taken out of Jerusalem, taken to Babylon, and how in the midst of a culture that was against God, they did not compromise their faith. 
And then starting in chapter 7, chapter 7 through 12 of Daniel goes from the historical part to the visionary part. We see several dreams that Daniel had. God gave him dreams of what's going to happen in the future. And we saw one last week, and today we're going to see a second one from from chapter 8. A glimpse at to the end of time where evil shows up. Let's look at the vision. First of all, letter A on your outline, verses 1 to 14, here is the vision itself. Daniel said it was the third year of the king's reign Belshazzar in Babylon. That was about 551 B.C. And one night, Daniel lay down to go to sleep and and he had a dream. And in the dream, he he starts dreaming and immediately his body is transported 200 miles east and 150 miles north to the city of Susa. Susa is at the very top of the Persian Gulf, right on the border between Iran and, and Kuwait. Susa, you'll see a picture of ancient Susa. It's a very interesting city. Uh, Susa, as I mentioned on the border there, technically in Iran today. Susa later on, 80 years after this vision of Daniel, Susa was where Esther was the queen. And 107 years later, it's where Nehemiah started in bondage and started heading back toward Israel to rebuild. Susa was a significant city. Today it's called Shushan, which is similar to the word Susa. He said, immediately in this dream I was transported to Susa and I was standing there on the banks of the Uli Canal. There were two natural rivers that ran through Susa and a man-made canal connected both of the rivers so they could do more things with both rivers. So he's standing on the banks of this man-made canal. He said, I'm standing there, and I looked up, and I saw a ram. This ram had two horns. One horn was shorter, and the other horn was really long and larger. And all of a sudden, the ram puts his head down, and it starts starts charging to the west, and then charging to the south and charging to the north. And every direction it goes, it just flattens whatever is in its way. And, and nothing can stop it. It's destroying everything. And at the last, the ram stands there in control. And great, the ram rules. There's a picture of the ram. Not an original shot, but a sketch of the ram. And he said, all of a sudden, as I'm watching the ram, something else caught my eye to the right. And I looked over, and flying in from the west was a goat going so fast at lightning speed, never even touching the ground, just flew in from the west. And the goat had one horn right between its eyes, and it was massive. And the goat flew in and looked around and saw the ram and its eyes begin to glow. 
he hated the ram. And he went over to the ram and he, he started to destroy the ram and he charged at it and broke the ram's horns into pieces. And he charged at it till the ram toppled down and the goat stood over on top of the ram and now the goat is the greatest of all because it's over the ram. Here's a picture of the goat. You ever seen a flying goat? I haven't either, but Daniel did. There it is. And then look at the next picture. You'll see where the goat stands over the ram as victorious. Then something happened. He said, as I'm watching in this vision, this goat standing there, one long horn out of the middle of its forehead, all of a sudden, that horn began to shatter into four small horns that had no power at all. And one of those little horns began to grow back. And one of those horns grew large. And I, it had human eyes, a horn with human eyes, and started looking at it, looked to the south, and then it looked to the east, and then all of a sudden it looked toward Israel, and it began to glare at Israel. It hated Israel, hated God's people. And this horn was watching and looking at Israel, and all of a sudden decided to make its way there. And that horn with the eyes focused on Israel went into Israel and marched in and marched into Jerusalem and it marched right into the holy place of God. It went to the temple. It went to the holy of holies and just began ransacking it, turning over the tables, turning over the altar, the holy of holies where God's presence was, desecrating it, throwing it down, taking truth and throwing it to the ground. And two angels are in heaven watching in this dream. And one angel turns to the other and says, how long is God going to let him do that? The other angel said, 2,300 days, 2,300 nights, which is almost seven years. And at the end of 2,300 days and nights, God will make that temple right again. Poof, Daniel woke up. And the dream was over. And he thought, what kind of dream was that? What did that mean? So the rest of the chapter, Daniel 8, interprets it for us. Letter B on your outline, the vision interpreted, verses 15 to 27. Daniel woke up from the dream and didn't know what it meant. And he said, I sought understanding. I thought, I, I don't know what is this. God, what does this dream mean? Can someone interpret it for me? Now, time out. Hold on a second. If you go back to the first six chapters of Daniel, Daniel was the one interpreting dreams. Nebuchadnezzar had one. What does it mean? Nobody could tell him. Daniel, Daniel has the spirit of the gods in him. Daniel, can you come interpret? And God gave Daniel the ability to interpret. And then Darius had a dream. And, and, and oh, didn't, uh, what can it mean? And, and God gave him Daniel the ability to interpret. And now it's Daniel going, what does this dream mean? I don't know what it means. Can somebody interpret it for me? And he said, all of a sudden, he saw someone standing before him that looked like a man. 
And he heard the man say, Gabriel, angel, come here. Come tell Daniel what the dream means. And all of a sudden, this angel came from heaven and stood before Daniel. And Daniel said, I saw him and I was afraid and I fell down. I fainted flat on my face. And the angel went, stand up. Daniel, oh, son of man, stand up. You need to know this. You need to know what I'm going to share. And he stood back up and he looked at the angel again and fell down fainting again. And, and the angel said, get up, son of man. You need to know what's in this dream because God's people need to know it. Stand up. He stood up. And Gabriel said, Daniel, that ram with one horn larger than the other. That is the Medes and the Persians. Years down the road, they're going to gain power and the Persians are going to be more powerful than the Medes and that's why one horn is a lot larger than the other. And they're going to be powerful and they're going to charge in from the west and from the south and from the north and they're going to destroy everything in their path and they're going to stand there as the greatest... But then a goat, Greece. Greece is the goat. They're going to come in and with lightning speed in the course of three years, they're going to conquer the whole empire so fast it's like their feet don't even touch the ground. And they're going to destroy, break into pieces the ram and the goat. Greece will stand there as the greatest empire. And the long horn... In the middle of the head of the goat is Alexander the Great. But he's going to fall quickly and be crushed. And the four little horns that sprout up are going to be his four sons. But they're not going to be as powerful as he was. And the kingdom's going to diminish. But one of those horns, one of them's going to grow. And he's going to become the forerunner of the Antichrist. This horn's going to grow and he's going to be a leader of Greece. He's going to be bold and smart. He's going to have great power and he's going to look at Israel and he's going to hate God's people with a passion. And he will have the power of the evil one filling his body and he's going to destroy many of God's people and he's going to desecrate the temple and he's going to go into the holy of holies and he's going to be the abomination of desolation and destroy it. He's going to be cunning. He's going to prosper and he's going to be so deceitful that even God's people are going to think he's good. He's not. Daniel, this future evil is going to rise up and this man is going to be anti-God. He's going to rise up against Yahweh. Now, Daniel, all of this is going to happen. It's true. I want you to take up everything you've seen and seal it into a book. Keep it sealed. By the way, those of you who are going through the Revelation series with us on Wednesday night, Remember the seals? The book is sealed. The scroll is sealed. And Jesus was the only one worthy to come along and take the scroll and begin to open the seals. So Daniel's book is sealed up. 
And Daniel said, I awakened again from this conversation with, the, with Gabriel, and, and I was just overcome. I was exhausted. I was physically ill for days. I finally got back going back to my job and about my business, the king's business, but I was appalled at the vision, and it just bothered me that God's people would suffer like that and that evil would come. And there will be two waves of evil. One is several hundred years after Daniel, and the other is before the end of time. One by a leader that destroys God's people and God's house. And the second one will do it worldwide as the Antichrist. Now, I want us to see what happened in history and what will happen in our day. Let her see on your outline what happened. Did the vision come to pass? Twelve years after Daniel had the dream, twelve years, Medes and the Persians developed power out west. Babylon was in, in control. But the Medes and the Persians, the Persians becoming more powerful, the one horn, they, they swept in from the west and the south and the north, destroying everything in their path. And guess what their mascot was? Yes, nations had mascots like our sports teams do. Guess what their mascot was? The Rams. In fact, the Medes and Persians saw the ram as their spirit that energized them, the guardian spirit. The king would wear a headdress with rams on it. They found coins from the Medo-Persian Empire that have ram heads affixed to the coins. And then sometimes, whenever the Persians would go into battle, they would actually take a physical ram's head and hold it up as they charged into battle. They felt the ram empowered them. And that's what Daniel saw. And they controlled for 208 years. But guess what happened? 208 years later, from the west, Greece, Alexander the Great. He, he went in with lightning speed like his feet wasn't even touching the ground. He conquered this and conquered that. He conquered a million and a half square miles in three years. He was powerful. He was great. But he had this ego. My goodness. He was the horn. And Greece was the goat. By the way, guess what their mascot was? The goats. Greece. The ancient people of Greece were called the goat people. And he was the one horn in the middle. And Alexander the Great was so powerful, but he even made his own soldiers bow down to him and they seethed, they hated it. And finally, before the age of 33, he died in a drunken stupor and the, the, the horn was crushed. And four little horns that weren't as powerful sprang up as four sons. They took his kingdom, but they weren't nearly as capable as he was. 
Lysimachus and Cassander and Seleucus and Ptolemy, Ptolemies of Egypt and Seleucus of Syria, primarily the ones that affected Israel. And then out of those four, one little horn started to grow and get bigger, and that was a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, year 175 B.C., and he took his eyes and focused them on Israel and he hated God's people with a passion. Antiochus Epiphanes, every time he could, he could kill Jews, he did it. You talk about a genocide. Yes, the Holocaust was one, but whenever Antiochus Epiphanes ran Greece, he killed Jews. On one occasion, he went to Jerusalem and killed 40,000 Jews in one visit and turned around and went back. He hated Jews. He hated God's people. And in December of 168 B.C., something interesting happened. Antiochus Epiphanes had, um, had had a skirmish with Rome and lost. He was angry, frustrated, mad because he lost a battle. Came back home and decided to take it out on the people he hated the most. God's people, the Israelites. So he gathered 20,000 troops led by the general he appointed, Apollinarius, and they headed for Jerusalem. And they got there and they marched in and started killing Jews right and left. And they marched into the gates of God's temple and marched into God's temple and just started ransacking it like the dream said. And they went into the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt. And he began to just overturn everything and take it and, and desecrate it. The holy things of God, he turned them over. And it, whereas the entire temple became unfit for use. And then he did the unthinkable. He went into the Holy of Holies where God's presence was, Yahweh, the God of Israel, and he took Zeus, a statue of Zeus, whom he worshipped, and he set it up right where God's presence was, and now Zeus was the new God, and he made all the Israelites bow down and worship him. And he also knew that the Israelites... Didn't have anything to do with pork. They were forbidden to in their dietary laws. So he went and got a pig. And right beside the altar of Zeus, he sacrificed the pig and took some of the pig juices and poured it on top of the pig and made all the Israelites bow down and worship Zeus and bring a pig and altar it on the Holy of Holies altar. He forbade any Israelite to worship Yahweh. You cannot bring a sacrifice to Yahweh. You must bring and come and bow down to Zeus and bring a pig with you and sacrifice. And one by one, the Jews wanting to live brought pigs into God's presence and sacrificed them. This went on for several months. Finally, one day, after several months, there's an old Jewish priest watching all of this by the name of Judas Maccabeus. 
And he's watching day after day the altar of Zeus being worshipped and God's people, the Israelites, bringing a pig and sacrificing it. And finally he had had enough. One day in the little town of Modain, which by the way, whenever we go to Israel, our tour guide is from Modain. He lives there. It's a suburb of Jerusalem. In the temple there at Modain, Judas Maccabees is watching and a Jew brings an altar down the altar and has a pig with him. And Judas Maccabeus can take it no longer. Took a sword and stabbed the fellow Jew and killed him. There was a Greek soldier there who was kind of overseeing the worship. He pulled a sword and Judas Maccabeus, before he could respond, killed the Greek soldier. So now the war is on. Greece and Israel. But a lot of the Israelites rallied around Judas Maccabeus. And they formed a little army. And so the Greeks sent their army in. And the Israelites started fighting back. And you have what's called the Maccabean Revolt, named after the old priest. And it lasted for three years they fought them off. Antiochus Epiphanes died and his brother took over. By the way, here's a picture of Antiochus Epiphanes taken from coins. Epiphanes means manifest one. Well, the Israelites call him Epipamines, which means crazy one. He died. His brother took over. His brother was a little more peaceful toward the Israelites. And so he made a peace agreement and said, you can restore the temple. So they did. They started cleansing the temple, got the Zeus altar out, got all the pigs out, and once again dedicated it and restored it to the glory of God. And the temple once again shone with the glory of God. And the day they dedicated it happened to be December the 25th of 164 B.C. And so they celebrate every December 25th. It's called Hanukkah. A celebration of the temple being made right again after it had been desecrated by an evil one. But now let's talk about what's going to happen from Daniel's dream. It hasn't happened yet. We're close. Letter D on your outline. What will happen? Daniel 8 was a prophecy of future evil. Antiochus Epiphanes and the Antichrist at the end. Antiochus will be local. He will be in Jerusalem. The Antichrist will be worldwide. Antiochus will have some of the evil power. The Antichrist will have all of it. So on a larger scale, the Antichrist is going to do what Antiochus Epiphanes did in the temple. Daniel saw it. This one's already happened. This one is coming. And in this dream, we have characteristics of what it's going to look like when he comes. Eight of them. Listen carefully. Number one, he will have greatness of mind. Verse 25. So whenever the end begins, it's going to be a time where 
man's mind he thinks is greater than God's mind. It's going to be a time whenever innovation by humans is seen as greater than God. Mankind is going to lift himself up greater than God. It's going to be a time where things are anthropocentric, man-centered, rather than theocentric, God-centered. So it's going to be a time where humans are more important than God. We getting there? Characteristic number two. Deceit will prosper. Verse 25. People will be deceived. And they're going to think this guy and his values and his ways and his movements are right. And he's going to be so deceiving that even God's people are going to be deceived. Even God's own people are going to turn from what God has said and follow what he believes. Are we getting there? Third characteristic. Fear and destruction will be widespread, verse 24. We've already seen with COVID how easily it is for our world to fall into fear. Even God's people to fall into fear, to be thrown into panic. He is going to be the master at controlling you by fear. Characteristic number four. Ungodliness will prosper. Verse 12. We see today where beliefs and actions which, which God is against is prospering and being celebrated. It's going to be a time where what God thinks is ignored. And what this spirit and the movements and the beliefs and the values and the laws, this spirit of Antichrist, it will be pushed and ungodliness will prosper. Fifth characteristic. The sacred will be trampled underfoot. Verse 13. Remember Antiochus? Boy, he marched into that temple. I mean, he trampled everything of God that appeared to be sacred. And at the end, he's going to do it again. What does God hold sacred? The Bible, the Lord's Day, God's house, worship, marriage, sex, 
gender, life, be a day. All that God holds sacred, trampled. Sixth characteristic. God's sanctuary will be given over to the evil one. Remember Antiochus? God's sanctuary became a ghost town, unfit for God's people to worship. And whenever this new spirit of evil comes to the end, God's house is going to be vacant. As you know, church attendance has been down in our culture for the last 40 years, peaked in the 60s. There is nothing holy and sacred about the house of God anymore. Churches are closing. 4,000 churches a year close their doors. Let me say that again. 4,000 churches a year closing their doors, no longer open. And from the year, from 100 years ago to today, there's one half fewer churches than there were 100 years ago. Went to a conference just recently, experts from around the nation gathered post-COVID and talking, what, about the, what does the church look like now that COVID is starting to wane? And we're told that most congregations are back to about 40 to 70% of their pre-COVID numbers. We're at 72%, so praise God for that. Most churches are 40 to 70. But we were told there that 30% of your congregation before COVID, they're not coming back. 30% not coming back. You lost them. They're no longer in your church, no longer a part of your congregation. They will not be back. 30%. Now, folks, COVID didn't break anything. It just showed us what was broken. Because this decline had started before COVID. God's house is emptying around America. It's the spirit that also had Antiochus empty God's house earlier. Characteristic number seven. The times will be inspired by the evil one. And notice the verses, three of them. 11, 24, 25. Three times. We see evidence all around us. Things happening. Movements. Beliefs. Laws being passed. Policies being instituted. All of them are not inspired by God because they go against God's word. And that's going to happen the times are going to be inspired by the Spirit that's against God. Number eight, truth will be thrown to the ground. There's an interesting phrase in verse 12 that said, when Antiochus went in and he's ransacking the temple, turning over the holy vessels, desecrating the holy vessels, verse 12 says, he picked up truth and he threw it to the ground and stomped on it. The same thing's going to happen at the end. 
truth of God's going to be taken and thrown down to the ground and stomped on. Are we there? Folks, if you take a stand for truth today in our culture, you're going to be vilified. If you take a stand and say what God has said is right, whoo, you're going to be canceled and you're going to be called a hater and you're going to be called a bigot and you're going to be called a racist and you're going to be called everything because you stood for truth because we're throwing it to the ground. And the very fact that I said that, one day I'll be arrested up here for hate speech because truth is no longer valued. Recently, a teacher in New Jersey was suspended. What did she do? She gave a student a Bible. Suspended. Washington football coach placed on administrative leave. What did he do? After a game, he gathered his players on the field and prayed. An Atlanta, Georgia fire chief was terminated. What did he do? He wrote a book that said he is for traditional Christian values. Marine was court-martialed. What did she do? She put a Bible verse on her desk at work. My goodness, how horrible. Christian homeschools are being targeted teaching. That's child abuse. InterVarsity Press kicked off college campuses already. Christian adoption agencies are being, they're being vilified because they'll not place children in the same-sex couple's homes. Catholic hospitals under fire. Folks, truth has been taken and thrown to the ground and stomped on. But Daniel told us in his dream to happen. Now you as believers, me as a believer, submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ as our Lord, we must stand for truth, regardless of what it costs us. And not go by the spirit of the evil one that Daniel saw in his dream would happen. It was late December of 1944. Hitler's troops were starting to lose ground in World War II to the Allied forces. As a part of a last-ditch effort at the Battle of the Bulge, Hitler tried a unique strategy. It almost worked. Kind of brilliant. He ordered Austrian commander Otto Skorzeny to employ what's known as Operation Grief. Here's what he did. He captured U.S. weapons, U.S. jeeps, and U.S. uniforms. And he found his men, German soldiers, who could speak English the best. And he dressed them in U.S. uniforms, gave them U.S. weapons and U.S. jeeps that go up to a checkpoint 
they spoke perfect English. And so they let them through, and one by one, posing as USGIs, the enemy slipped behind the lines, and they began to sabotage the words, the communication of the U.S. They cut lines of communication. And then they switched the road signs. They switched the road signs. That, so, so now the troops, they would be led off into a wrong road or to a, a wrong path. And so the U.S. troops could not distinguish the correct roads from the wrong roads. And what appeared to be right was now the wrong road. And it almost worked. And Daniel said, in the end, our enemy is going to be so convincing, you're going to think he's one of us. And he's going to slip behind enemy lines, pretend to be someone good, pretend to be progressive and right, all the time devaluing words. And all of a sudden, he will be sabotaging to where what's wrong now seems right. And what's right now seems wrong. And what appears to be right and wrong is confused. So much so that even God's very own people fall for it. Folks, I hope you don't fall for it. I hope you take the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and what He's told us in His Word and hold it up as a standard regardless of any spirit or any movement or any law and say God's Word is eternal and will never fade and stand for truth. Let's pray. Father, thank You today for Your Word. Thank You for Daniel's dream. God, it tells us so much about our day and the days to come of how Antiochus will once again be repeated. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us from history so we don't repeat it. Following you and following your word. God, I want to pray for those who are online, pray for those who are alive that need Jesus as Savior first and foremost. That's the most important decision. God, may today be the day they trust you. But God, I pray for believers today all across watching us and all across our worship center. God, I pray for believers that you would help us to follow you standing strong, not compromising a bit your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.